Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. Howdy and welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Mr. Sammy on. Uh, I don't really know who Sammy is because this is our first time meeting. So this will be a fun time for everybody to tune in and get to learn a little bit about who Sammy is. Um, and maybe in the future, you guys will be able to also hear from his wife. So oodles <laughs> of fun. We get to get the whole crew. Um, and so Sammy, thank you for sharing some time with us this morning. Thank you so much, Ben. Appreciate it for having me. Sammy, talk to me. I know very little about you being in the fitness industry. So what is what is your background? Um, and then what is it that you do now? Yeah. So um, when it comes to fitness, I've been pretty much in, in sports and fitness since I was six years old. Started with soccer. I'm originally from Finland. So soccer was uh, a thing rather than American football. So I played that for, for quite a few years in my early teenage years. I ended up getting into martial arts, uh, <clears throat> conventional karate, and then Muay Thai, then got into grappling, uh, MMA. <laughs> but Finland is a, is a fun country in a way that we have a mandatory military service. So by the time of 18, I actually ended up going into the military. I uh, was in special operations there for a few years. I ended up staying there a little bit, uh, extra <clears throat> and, uh, after that, I ended up getting my degrees in exercise science and nutrition. So if that would be close to 18 years ago when that happened, after my active duty. And uh, <clears throat> considering my background coaching athletes was, was something that I got myself into right away. <clears throat> and um, and um, when I moved to U.S. 13 years ago, I ended up getting a few other certifications over here, performance enhancement and, and correctional exercise and, and, and a couple of nutrition certifications. But I, I've, been, I've been studying nutrition ever since I was 13 years old. I always made a joke that when my friends were in a library, and once again, this dates me, uh, when, when we went to the library, there were library cards. And we have those little directories. We're looking at books. So my friends were reading comic books, and I was uh, getting myself into nutrition and biology books because I was just fascinated how to how to improve my performance in in whatever sports I was into. So I haven't that much competed in um, in in fitness competitions and and on a stage, but more more into performance side of it, MMA fights and grappling competitions and tournaments and everything else, but. I have a couple of competitions on fitness on Fitness America. Uh, I did a top five over there. And this was Fitness America. Fitness America is so you have the main ones. You have the IFBB and you have the WBFF. And then Fitness America is is more like uh, it's divided into a few subcategories. There's Muscle Mania and there's Fitness America, there's Model America. So a lot of the approaches are more marketability of of a fitness athlete. <clears throat> so a lot of the people that go there, they're more of a fitness model rather than in, uh, a bodybuilding competitions. Very cool. <clears throat> so that was pretty much my my stint into being on a stage in that sense. <clears throat> uh, that being said, I've coached a lot of athletes 
to get ready for the competitions. I've coached more athletes getting out of the competition and try to get them optimized with their food and everything else. Like, I, I think whoever's done a competition knows that that can mess up your body pretty, pretty drastic ways. So <clears throat> my, uh, my focus was always getting people out of that. They basically reverse dieting them in, dieting them off from, from that and, and then getting them into, um, level up on whatever the next goal might have been. I so think we, that's, that's pretty much in a nutshell. I think we hear about what reverse diet or like reverse dieting <laughs> is as a, as a, an, as an idea, but what is exactly reverse dieting and how does it vary <laughs> different athletes? Yeah. So reverse dieting when obviously when you go into something like <clears throat> extremes and you lower your, your, your body fat to a point that it, it start disrupting your hormone functions and everything else. <clears throat> Uh, there's also a, a function that happens is, is called adipose tissue adaptation. So basically, it's the safety mechanism in your body. When your body fat goes goes low enough, your body starts thinking, oh, man, like I can't have this happen again. I need to, for the future, I need to build more reserve, fuel reserves. <clears throat> and you're going to start adding these adipose tissues. Now, that doesn't mean that's fat, but fat grows out of adipose tissue. So adipose tissue also dictates a lot of the hunger and everything else, ghrelin and leptin, which is your hunger and satiety hormones. So you're going to end up getting these mood swings and hunger swings and everything else. So it takes an actual process to get people through and get them hormones backing up again. And uh, then also another function called uh, metabolic adaptation. Like we know that people ask what's metabolic adaptation. And my response is: Think about your phone. Uh, when your phone runs low on on charge, it's going to start down regulating the effectiveness and performance of that phone. It only pushes the energy to your vital functions, and that's exactly what happens in your body. So, <clears throat> metabolic adaptation: We're trying to get people actually eat more food and do it in a way that it doesn't cause any kind of binge eatings or anything else. So it's a cordial increase of calories in the right ratios that people doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, put that all in the fat cells, but they can actually start using it as an energy form again. So, very cool. So, like when I have a bodybuilding athlete, what is the what does a calorie deficit look like pre-show? Like, let's say within the last week to two weeks of, of preparing for the show, and then what is your progression? to get them back to uh, what would be a, a normal or like whatever they're, you know, be, are you going for just BMR? Are you looking for a certain, like how, how big of a surplus are you looking for? <clears throat> I'm really, <clears throat> calories is the one indicator. I, I like to start pretty much if people have, if they're athletes or they just <clears throat> a general people, I, I would like to start from macros. So I'm, I'm, for a person coming out of the competitions, I'm always looking at, okay, so what what, what do you want to be? Like how much you want to weigh? What's your healthy weight? What's your – we all have kind of an ideal weight where we feel like we're lean. We have some extra reserves. <clears throat> we feel like we're fast. We're kind of – we're not sluggish. So we have that optimal weight. So we've probably established that before the competition. So now we're going to start adding the, the macros that would basically then match that optimal weight and we're going to start doing these weekly increases now i know there's a lot of like kind of the guy 
the godfather of reverse dieting and kind of the big thing. Lane Norton is, is obviously a big guy on that, and he talks about it all the time. He's a big calorie guy. He's a big macro guy. And yeah, there, there's a lot of truth to it. And, and, and it's a science. Now, I don't think it, it's more of um, numbers on a paper that you do a calculation is one thing. But one of the big things in, in weight loss in general is also psychology. Psychology of, of that plan is a huge thing because if I can give you a Rolls Royce of plan, whether you want to lose weight, increase muscle mass or whatever that is. But if it doesn't fit in your daily plan or your daily routine, if it's not if it's not something that you can consistently follow, then it's not necessarily going to be a great plan. So I rather want to people do what's ninety percent right if they can do it hundred percent of the time, rather than hundred percent right and they can do fifty percent of the time, because that extra ten percent of inconvenience might cause days of negligence on that plan and then you have to keep going back to the drawing board over and over and over again so yes we're going to take the consideration of the the calories and macros and everything else but we need to also start structuring in a way that hey let's be realistic you work 12 hour days what's what's really attainable and sustainable on your on your current daily routines so those are kind of the couple of variables that i'm i'm taking into consideration when when i was getting people ready to their goals and also if it's if it wasn't something that's super sustainable then how to get out of it and and i don't like any drastic changes to your body like if you want to be if you want to do competitions you could do it in a healthy way so so people doing this dirty bulks and everything else and go go hams and start eating eight thousand calories and then drop it into two thousand calories like that's that's pure torture not only are you going to ruin your health, you're going to ruin your relationships. That's for sure. Your relationship with food, your relationship with people around you. Oh, I mean, 100%. Like, yeah. Yes, sir. You know, the, the textbook is is a really nice thing to refer to, but humans don't live in a vacuum, right? Research is really mm-hmm. cool. I love research. But if you start to apply that, I think, you know, you have these ridiculous sets and reps with a lot of like the new like strength conditioning research stuff or like just stuff that's not realistic. And then you finally apply that and it's just like this doesn't like this is sustainable. This doesn't make sense for this athlete. And it's also athlete specific. Some athletes you can push a little more aggressively and, you know, some others you can't. And I think that's just clients in general. Right. Uh, I think that we use the word athletes, but all humans are athletes to some degree is just a varying yeah. level of that athleticism and so yeah it's just how do you you know like if if you have a new someone new like let's say you have somebody who is gp or you have somebody who's just new to, to being introduced into following a diet what are you doing to make sure that they're they're successful well i'm going to use kind of my own own example <clears throat> and that was a <clears throat> that was actually a great point you brought it up because when I was ready, getting ready for photo shoots and competitions, a lot of times in, in the, the conventional way is like, hey, let's let's put copious amount of cardio in and uh, <clears throat> start reducing calories substantially and, and then just start putting some fat burners and thermogenics and everything else in. And, and that's how you're going to that's how you're going to put your in. But I, my body was not conditioned to that because I, I've been an athlete. <clears throat> so I did that for a long time. I did that for a month when I got ready. Like started almost like six weeks out, and 
and I started feeling just worse and worse and worse. And I feel like I started getting more and more fluffy. But then I was like, hey, let's go back to what I know that functions to my body and my physique and my body's evolution. So I started actually increasing my calories. I started getting off from the treadmill and stair mill and start doing circuit training where I'm going to put high intensity interval training, incorporating that in, in order to preserve my muscle mass. And I started leaning up in, in a matter of days. My muscles started filling up and everything else. That's why I noticed that, okay, you know what? There's, there's, there's more than one way to do this. So when, when I, I mean, I'm going to start putting people into some sort of training routines, I want to, I need to establish a baseline in some shape or form. Um, if they ever been an athlete, and I mean ever, like if I have 40-year-old men and, and I know that they used to be a D1 athlete, but they haven't even seen a gym in 15 years, I know that they still have the baseline somewhere. Because what what's conventionally being called muscle memory is, is scientifically called satellite cells. Satellite cells in your body is, is the way like when you build your athletic physique into a point and you and by working out hard and everything else and you stop working out, your muscle your muscle is gonna start reducing in size because it's not economic. Economically it's not good for hold that muscle mass for your new lifestyle. Now, but the satellite cells is being evolved in the background and they stay the same. So now when you're actually gonna start reactivating those satellite cells your muscle increase is going to be up to five times faster than a person that never, never been athletic in their whole entire life. So it starts with the foundation, like, hey, what's your history in the past 20, even 20, 35 years? Like, have you been a high-level athlete? Okay, great. Then you have satellite cells somewhere over there. So I know that once I get through this phase one, where it's just activating your body and activating your CNS, your central nervous system, I can start putting some I can start putting some stress on it and see how your body responds to it. So those are some of the things that I don't think too many trainers not even even take into consideration. They just take your hey, here's your current current condition and let's start from there. Because your body has a memory and it takes back you decades sometimes. You can utilize that in a very effective way if you if you know the mechanisms in your body. Is, is it the same with uh, specific diets as well? Like, does does my body understand if, if you know, I was an athlete once upon a time, and then I start, you know, I was eating very clean, very well at that one point in time. Is there? I don't know if there. I, I have no idea. Is there any sort of similar relationship that the body has with diet as well? <clears throat> there are definitely a lot of. Um... <clears throat> A lot of theories and principles like uh, blood type diets and everything else, where where your <clears throat> where your body's being conditioned to um, extract energy and nutrients more efficiently from some protein compared to other protein. So there there is stuff like that. But when it comes to complete overall <clears throat> eating lifestyle, I I've noticed it in myself. Once again, I don't I don't just like to listen theories. I like to put myself at a guinea pig as soon as possible. So I've followed intermittent fasting diets. I've followed ketogenic diets. And there are some areas when I'm with my wife and we've been now together for 10 years. So I was actually doing a, a, a very keto heavy diet. And that worked great for me. 
And then years went by and my body started changing. I'm on my mid forties right now. So a few years ago, I put myself like, Hey, let's, let's see how my body responds to that. And I just end up feeling crappy. And I understand there's a gluconeogenesis and everything else that's going to affect on when before your body goes from burning, burning calories and to the burning ketones that there's going to be adaptation phase. But I, I, I was I was way past the adaptation phase, and it's still not respond the same way. So, I think there are definitely something that your body can adapt and learn more. Um, I think it's more in a genetic, uh, <clears throat> call it epigenetics, meaning you come from a different regions. Your your family has been eating eggs or dairy their whole entire life. Then most likely there might be as a microevolution that you might be more adapting to eating dairy or something. But what it comes to, hey, uh, five years ago I ate this, I knew that worked. Now I know with 100% certainty that it works for now too. <clears throat> so your body adapt, adapts, your lifestyle changes, your body changes, your body composition changes. So it, it's it's not like work then it works for now so let's do that but there's there's definitely some truth to the fact that um your body remembers what what foods work and what's not i you know i used to love eating eggs every morning have my eggs whatever i got classic eggs bacon kind of kind of breakfast meal and mm-hmm. Recently, I reintroduced. I kind of stayed away from eggs for a little while. Reintroduced eggs, and for whatever reason, my body just did not did not appreciate them anymore. And it was just a a fun realization to like my body does change and adapt to whatever the environment is. It could be the the food itself. It could be where I was getting the eggs back then versus where the eggs are coming from now. But ultimately, you know, my my body doesn't like eggs anymore. And so now we need to, you know, we just adjust and we make a, okay, well, I need another protein for the morning. So how about we do, you know, like a, like a beef or, or a bison or a a chicken, you know, something that's going to be a little bit nicer to my, to my body. Yeah. There's a, my, my, my wife went through the same thing. So, and actually this, if we want to go back to, it's kind of reverse dieting. There's another another thing that happens in a lot of competitors because whoever's done any kind of competitions or anything, you know that it's going to be tilapia and broccoli, tilapia and broccoli, or, or something else. Now, my point is that you're eating the exact same food for the past three to four weeks before the competition. Like, that's it. And what happens in your body is actually it's going to start creating intolerances towards those foods that you're eating all the time. So I'm a huge of rotating your proteins as much as possible. And and this is another thing is that when when I get athletes coming out of the competitions and they have bloating and everything else, it's like, listen, you're most likely like whatever you ate the last four weeks every single day, four or five times a day, you're most likely intolerant towards that. Now intolerant it's not seeing then allergic reaction. So I, I put I put a lot of people on a food sensitivity test because what's happened is let's say that this is your gut lining. You eat the same exact food over and over again. So that means that that food is going to be in your system pretty much 24-7. So there's going to be inflammation in some level that inflammation is going to stretch your gut. 
lining like this. And now the undigested food gets to your bloodstream and now your body starts creating antibodies because it, it reads that food as a foreign substance. So now you just develop intolerances towards that food that you've been eating all the time. And this can happen and usually it happens towards healthy foods all the time. Because like, hey, I love that. I can eat that every single day. You know, I eat that every single day. I'm like, yeah, you do. But if you know how to listen to your body, it tells you probably that you should not eat every single day. And I think that what might have happened to you too is, is it like, this doesn't accept eggs anymore. So, so yeah, that's it, it's important to be aware of, of those things um, and also understand that you should rotate your foods as much as possible because like diversity in your in your nutrition is it's not just beneficial but it's vital in some cases well how how cool the body is you know just the more that i learn i continuously like the way that it adapts to different situations and it's just it's such an intelligent thing you know it's we we can't eat the same thing you're not going to survive you need to have diverse food so then we're going to force you to we're going to force you to 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 find new foods and not just eat this one protein this one meal i mean that's so cool yeah uh, it, and it's 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 something that i go in a rabbit hole all the time on some research because the big thing that my professor said back in the day when I got my degrees is like, hey, that the information that we share with you uh, in about five to 10 years, it's only 30% valid. But yeah. the information, what you learn from here is it gives you the foundational skills to read studies and understand the validity of those studies. So because studies can be manipulated, studies, studies, actually studies and scientific journals can be very misleading too. So you kind of have to learn certain things like hey what's affecting on this and and like and i give an example people say like okay microwave destroys nutrients it's and yeah and i said all heat destroys nutrients it's like well there's there's this study that microwave was the worst it's like well if you read the study what actually happened is they tested uh like a skillet cooking they they, they tested boiling and microwave and boiling actually is the worst when it comes to destroying nutrients in your food. But how they tested the microwaves, they boiled the water in microwave, and then then they made the conclusions like, oh, microwave kills. They're like, no, it's the boiled water that you just boil all that food and vegetables that kill most of it. That's so there, there are, if you understand the mechanism, once again, in the background, you can kind of just navigate through some of these studies and like you said, some of the studies is just like wacky. Where like, yeah, that's that's a some some new fitness influencer comes in and is like, hey, just do this because scientific study says that. It's like, come on, bro. Like, listen, <laughs> like that's a that's a cool way to get some clicks on your video, but but when it comes to actually having a tangible tools for your health and wellness journey, you're like, eh, a little iffy. I think that's the unfortunate reality behind a lot of like online fitness individuals at times where I read, you know, the studies that, that, that they're referencing or like just know a lot of times if you start reading journals, you can kind of know what labs are associated with with better research than others. Yeah. And you're like, man, you're pulling from the wrong place, man. Like, And and 
it's they have enough of a following they're like oh yeah or they're like convincing enough or their editing's good enough that it's like oh this guy probably knows what he's talking about and then you read the funding or you read where the funding's coming from or you read the actual study and it's it's all off and you're like this wasn't real and you're providing a lot of misinformation it's not it's not actually misinformation it's just not good information you know it's just not good information yeah it's the big one when uh intermittent fasting started coming in it was promoted by a lot of fitness competitors. It's like, hey, I can eat whatever I want. Just eat Pop Tarts all day long. Does it fit into my eating window and everything else? It's like, yeah, is that a is, is there benefits of intermittent fasting? Yes, but it doesn't mean that you should eat Pop Tarts all day long on your on your eating window. So it's it's and when it comes to intermittent fasting, it's you can get some of those same benefits through other ways of like I'm a big, big proponent of, of blood sugar balances, like increasing your blood sugar, like uh, glucose sensitivity is, is a great thing. You can establish that with, without ketogenic diet. You can establish that without uh, intermittent fasting. And the study is actually, and one guy, do you know who Peter Atia is? I do. Yeah. So Peter Atia is, is good. like, he's a, he's an independent researcher and he's a big guy on metabolic and he's been testing that in himself all the time. And he even said in one of the interviews, said, listen, intermittent fasting, when you do it on a daily basis, when you do it on a 16-hour fast, eight hour, or 20-hour fast, and 18-hour uh, fast, and six-hour six window, the benefits only come in, in a very heavily if your eating is very poor. If you eating is very clean, it has very little to none benefits. Because, and that shows that you can, it's not necessarily the fasting part of it. It's the, it's kind of like the, the secondary uh, impacts that's going to give you a lot of those benefits, which is balancing your blood sugar levels. So as long as I'm eating, like I could eat, you know, maybe I'm not in a 16, eight, but I'm, I'm eating whatever amount of 12 hours a day or whatever it is, the, not necessarily guided by time, but I'm eating low glycemic loads throughout the day or low glycemic index foods throughout the day, then I'm getting the same benefit as if I'm, you know, if I'm intermittent fasting, is that kind of the, the idea? Well, then I have people can say, well, listen, when your body goes into fasting state and it's going to start running a lot more clearer because your body's not metabolizing food. Yes, that's, that's a benefit, which you can't get by eating steadily throughout the day. But uh, if you eat, uh, let's just say a bowl of rice, we all know that like, I like, I prefer white rice over brown rice. I like to have a better control of how my, my carbs are digesting. So I want my carbs to be very targeted. So if I'm going to eat a bowl of white rice, my blood sugar level is going to spike up somewhere in 160 levels. And if, if I know that my, my sweet zone and blood sugars are 80 to 120, that's, that's the level I want to keep. So if I'm going to eat that bowl of rice, my blood sugar level rises. Now, if I'm going to eat a piece of chicken first, and then I'm going to dive into that that rice, now the protein digestion is actually going to slow down that glucose digestion, and my blood sugar levels are not spiking that high anymore. So I'm able to keep staying on that homeostasis for a long time. And when it comes to my training rhythm, it's better if I'm able to get uh, consistent meals. Like I, I my body does not function great with empty stomach workouts. I just don't feel good with that. 
So yeah. if I'm going to do intermittent fasting, I would have to adjust that uh, the eating window that I would have to eat in the middle of the night and then go work out in the morning. So there are, there are, there are things that intermittent fasting, I'm not debunking it to be, to be mumbo jumbo, but I'm saying that there are different, you have to understand that the biological mechanisms that are going on in your body and see, is there other ways that I can attain those same mechanisms and still eat food and have a better relationship with food? So once again, if I know that there's 90% failure rate in intermittent fasting for <clears throat> after one year, then I'm not probably going to put my average Jane or Joan client to intermittent fasting unless it's a specific issue that I want to target, meaning autoimmune issue or, or some sort of digestive imbalance or, or inflamed gut lining or something like that. So there are special occasions, but if I just want to establish a healthy baseline, I'm going to establish that by eating smaller portions and eating, eating protein, fat, and carbs throughout the day multiple times because overall benefits I've seen with working in the hundreds and hundreds of athletes and, and people myself and as well as my wife, that that's the better baseline than getting into very restrictive mode. I feel like those restrictive modes change the relationship with food, unfortunately, for a, a yeah. lot of people. And then, I mean, a year is, I, I feel like I, I see a lot of people that have attempted in my circle that, yeah, they they attempt for less than a year. I would say average from what I've seen is definitely like maybe <laughs> six months, you know, like I feel like people just don't because they don't see the results that they think that they're going to see in that fast amount of time. And so then it, but ultimately it's just another, it's another tool. It's, yeah. just, it's just another tool in the toolbox. It's like, unless we're competing for something very specific, I think that a lot of these things are like, does it really matter if you're doing um, a structured <laughs> workout or powerlifting or bodybuilding? I think at the end of the day, like, are you getting out? Are you moving? Are you doing the things for your body? If you're just, again, gen pop, gen, you know, if you're, Jane and Joe and just kind of hanging out at the gym, you're mm -hmm. doing something that's probably pretty good for your body. With And then if you want to have specific benefits of strength, then okay, yes, then now we know we, we guide towards a specific thing. But I think when first starting, like, don't overcomplicate it. It's just, yeah. just get in there and, and do some movement and feel good and then walk away because that's what's going to build the healthier relationship with <laughs> food, with the gym, with just the lifestyle of being in health and fitness and then ultimately, you know, the rest of your life. Yeah. I, I, I'm so, I, I love everything what you just said, because it's, it's exactly that. We have these weekend warriors uh, that go on like all hams with their eating and everything else. Like I'm going to be on point. I have meal preps and then they're going to have Friday, Saturday, where they're going to just stuff themselves full of all kind of crappy food and put a bottle of whiskey or a few bottles of wine down the line. And they're like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> so you're gonna create that like massive roller coaster with your, and then again, you're not. It's it's the definition of a yo-yo dieting. Mm. Is it like hey, just establish a baseline? Like once again, I used to work with a lot of uh, high-level executives that they were traveling about four days every single week. So what our service was that um, is we mapped out their whole entire life. Like I, I had their travel schedule. I, I looked at their what the gyms are available at their hotels, what are in the room service, is their meal prep companies. And I, I wrote up their full plan every single week, including workouts and meals 
based on the cities and towns they were traveling into wow. so they can have a better understanding. And some people, they when came to me and said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to go all in, like no alcohol and, and nothing. And like, I'm going to go, just, I'm going to go, I'm 1,000% I'm committed. It's like, yes, I love that attitude. And at the same time, is that realistic for you considering that you're still traveling four days a week? You used to be eating two desserts that you advertise all the time and you have a few drinks and do this and this and that. So like, can we start in this and then establishing like, hey, let's let's limit the alcohol first and then start from there. Because once you limit the alcohol, you're going to then also start affecting on your cravings and everything that you eat. And, and let's start it like scaling down from there. because. If I'm going to put you, I'm like, hey, okay, no alcohol, no this. Like, you're not getting ready for the stage. You're just, you came to me because you want to feel better. So let's get you a plan that you don't feel like your life sucks when you go through that plan and you're not throwing the towel every single morning or dread, dreading waking up every single morning because you know that you need to eat only very specific foods. So, so it's, it's, it's the fact that. It, like moderation, like moderation doesn't mean that, hey, let's have a cheat day over here and I'm going to eat uh, 18,000 calories and pizzas and, and alcohol and everything because I've been, rest of the week, I've been great. But yeah, it's it's just establishing the baseline for you and, and all of our baselines are a little bit different. I think all of our baselines are a little bit different. I think when yeah. you're working with these high level executives. I mean, like what, what a service. And I would like to get more into like how you develop as a coach. I think, I think we have other coaches that, that definitely tune in. So I think my goal is to get a little bit of an insight, like how do you like go down this other route of being a coach that maybe other, other coaches don't necessarily know a lot about, but you know, like everybody has a different goal and especially these high level executives that are, that are having high stress and then to make the, Oh man, now I can't drink and now I can't eat what I want. And now you're adding a little bit more to their plate when you're like, they're asking for help and it's the, the opposite of what they're doing. And then most likely they're going to maybe less likely to be honest with what they're actually eating or what they're actually drinking. But then you ha you make that one change of let's do like, like instead of doing five drinks a night, let's do two, right? Let's, let's start there. Or maybe we know we're drinking five days a week. Let's drink three. And then they start seeing a lot of ripple effects off of that one thing. They're like, all right, you know, maybe Sammy knows what he's talking about. Maybe maybe I'll drink a little bit, even less. I'm, I'm starting to sleep better. I sleep early. Um, I'm less stressed at work. I have higher energy throughout the day. And it's like, all right, well, it, it, it takes, I think, somebody who's a little bit more patient that understands like this is going to take time and someone who's who can appreciate that process and finally like look back and say, man, I'm only drinking one day a week and I'm only having one dessert and I don't have any really like quote unquote cheat days and I'm moving every single day. I'm not sprinting and hitting my six minute miles, but you know what? Like I'm walking for 30 minutes and I wasn't doing that before. And then they're better in their business meetings and then they're just better to be around, better around the family and like their time is more valuable. And so like the, the changes that you can make for that, and even like you're saying versus that athlete who is like, I have Sun, you know, Sunday, I'm going to make 
ten million dollars if I can, you know, if I can compete well. You know, that it's a it's a very very different mentality. It's it's like, yeah, you're not drinking. Like that, it's just that that's the name of the game. Like I don't like I don't really care. That's just what's gonna happen. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, makes sense. You know, like it, I think there's a lot more of an acceptance for that. Um, yeah, man, I think yeah, that's super cool. So how did you get into working with? Uh, like, how, what was your coaching journey like? Did you start at like, I think the classics, like big, big box gym and then kind of move from there? Or what, what, what did it look like? <clears throat> if I really, so my degree was in, in Finland, it was a kind of an experimental degree is um, I had to be recommended by five established coach or influencers in that like well-known people. So it was it was between bachelors and masters, and uh, it was in a in a sport university, which is a old Olympic city in in Finland. So wow. it was a massive, massive campus. It's a camp where athletes all over the world come and 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 do their camps. So I that's cool. My my class was <clears throat> full of like there were Olympic medalists, there were coaches, there were people who owned their own fitness franchises. Just very prestigious people. Wow. And as we were doing our, our classes, there were the Nigerian track and field team running over here. There were F1 drivers doing their <clears throat> doing their medical camps <clears throat> over there in this building. So it was a it was a something that I I was exposed to so high level information from the get go <clears throat> that I wanted to start adapting those those things all the time and. My friend who owned a um, a train, big, very successful, almost like a celebrity training company in Finland. <clears throat> and uh, I, I worked for him for a few months. <clears throat> and it wasn't a big, like they didn't know their own facilities or anything. They were just partnership to different facilities. But <clears throat> I never worked for the big, big box. So I've always being a responsible of my own service, a curriculum and everything else and, and what my approach is. <clears throat> so when I started establishing my own fitness business, I was like, listen, um, I rather want to work with less clients <clears throat> and take my time and my clients pay for me a lot more money so I can really focus on them. And I'm willing to sacrifice that revenue flow in and build it over the time compared to selling myself $30, $40 an hour. <clears throat> because that would be just meaning that I'm going to work with constant turn and burn, meaning I'm going to go through, <clears throat> I'm going to go through clients that come here, pay for me weekly paces or basis or, or, or even every time they come work out, they pay me money. Like there's no consistency. There's no commitment on that. So I started immediately thinking, okay, my services, you have to train with a minimum uh, 90 days. 90 days, and I'm going to take the payment up front, and here's my, here's my price. And I, I started from there. So like, if I can get committed people in that are willing to pay for my time and pay with their hard-earned money, I need to then provide value as well. And how I'm going to separate myself is I had an assessment process. I want to go through the body assessment. I'm going to go through different kind of measurement processes. I have different psychological questions and daily routines and everything. So it was a, it was about 14 page 
thing that they filled out. And then I went to assessment test. And assessment test kind of served two purposes. It allowed me to show that I'm really knowing what I'm talking about. Able to show it in a very easy, like, let's just say that you do overhead squat assessments. Like people, you know, like every single trainer should put their people through an overhead squat assessment because you're able to pinpoint like, hey, here's your toes are turning out, your glutes are tight, you're overpowering your chest over here, your back muscles are weak. So here's what I'm going to, we're going to start approaching by that, realigning that body back up again and and then start building on that. And month one's going to look like here, here's what I'm going to commit to do. Here's what I need from you. So I'm setting the expectations. And there are a lot of times when people came to me and say, hey, this is not, this is not for me. And I'm just looking for some, some gym body. And I said, listen, I can, I can be a gym body for $120 an hour. <clears throat> but I think you're going to find gym bodies, like just people that you can go work out from somewhere else. And like, I'm, I don't think, like, I want to be, and I would say it in a very professional, nice way and say, listen, because like, I, I want to help people. And I want to work with a specific demographic of people. And I'm, I'm, I want to invest into them. And for as a return, I don't require for the money. I said, money serves two purposes. Money is a compensation for my time and expertise, but it's also accountability for you. Because what's easy to start is also easy to quit. If I'm going to make it very easy for you to say yes, then it's probably going to be very easy to say no as well. But if there's going to be a small like, hey, I'm investing a lot of money. It's going to take some some commitment over here, but yes, I want to do this. Then I'm already having those six and sevens and eights coming to my business rather than coming with this overabundance of bunch of ones and two as a people that are just kind of like, eh, I just kind of kind of lose a little bit of weight and, and that's it. So, and I'm I'm not saying that there's right or wrong things to do, but that was just in my mindset. Like for me, I wanted to apply all my expertise and I, in order to do so, I need to find a specific person to do so. I need to find a specific client. And once you penetrate to that, like we surround ourselves with people that we know, like, and trust. That's just the way. So as I got two, three clients, I was able to penetrate these high level networks with my, with my wife, but then all our clients tell, clientele came through word of mouth. We did not advertise um, at all. And it just came like, hey, you have to work out with this guy. Or you have to work out with Mandy and Sonia. It's my wife. So we develop a, a, a reputation that people knew what they're going to get. And I still have. I have an actively training. I kind of semi-retired from training. But I have still people that I used to train years and years ago and say, hey, listen, I've gone through trainers and over and over again. Like, hey, are you, are you still retired? Like, I, I, I need your help. And I said, I'll help you. I'll give you some pointers, but, but not necessarily looking to train. And if I'm going to train, it's going to cost you quite a bit of money because my mind is now, my mind and efforts are allocated somewhere else now. I mean, what a fun journey. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. what a cool opportunity to start and then to get into the, you know, the right, the right group um i think that ultimately that that individual i think allows the 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 expert trainer to do their job because it is not something that it ever really takes a month it's not something that really ever takes three months like you're gonna see changes in three months but like we're gonna have we need you know we, we need 
I had one of my clients recently is like, these are some fruit loop workouts. And I was like, these fruit loop workouts are, are here because you, you still can't do a push up. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, I want to do, I want to try to do these other things. Like, okay, well, let's, let's go to, let's let, you don't want to do those other things. And all right, fine. We're working on stability, working on mobility, but you don't, you think you're above that. So let's go ahead and work on some other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we work on those other things that they were like really harping on. And then we can't do not five reps. And it's like, there's a reason that we're doing these things and it's going to take time. And yeah. if you know, like you can find a trainer that's just going to say, yeah, for sure. Let's just go ahead and do whatever you want. And then just have you do squats or like overhead squats when you're not ready for them or mm. bench press when you're not ready for them. But it's, it's going to take time. And if you trust the process, like I'm going to get you there, we, yeah. we, we're going to, we're going to see results. You just need to be patient, you know? And if you're only here once a week, then I'm sorry, but it's going to take a lot longer than if you're here two to three times a week, you know, like it's, it, it's a process. And if you don't give it time and give it love, then, you know, it's, it's not, it's that same amount of energy that you're going to get back. You know, you're not going to get anything different. So it, it's, it's a process. What, what are you doing now? What, I mean, what do you, uh, you said you kind of shifted gears. Also, I know I already asked, I, but kind of, how did you initially decide that this is going to be my price points? Like, you know, we have charge whatever you want. You could be the $40 trainer. You could be $10,000 a month. Like, how did you end up deciding on a specific price point? So it, at the time you're looking at trainers were charging about like high end trainers were anything from hundred to uh, $150 an hour. Uh, and this was and even more like I had, a, I had a one client that I had to, well, not I get to go, go to his gym, um, lives in a $20 million mansion. And, and he became one of my best friends and business mentors. And I, I, I actually came from his house this morning. Nice. Uh, when I did a workout with him at seven thirty, but, uh, but it was, it was at the time like, okay, what's, what, what's reasonable. So like I, I knew some trainers that were charging a hundred dollars, hundred and fifty. I, I think I originally started with a hundred dollars an hour. If you commit to ninety days, which usually, which usually was about um, uh, seventy workouts. So there's, and if if you buy like these, because I I said. <clears throat> Let's just say that. Well, let's let's just say that ninety days. I'm going to say you fifty workouts because this is how many how many times you come in a week. If you do the fifty workouts up front, it's five thousand dollars. There's a hundred dollars assessment, and I need you to for this reason because we're going to do a lot more work in the front end compared to the back end because it's going to take a lot of time to get the rocket ship off the ground. But but after that, it takes a lot less energy when you get the ball rolling and ball moving. So. I think I started first $100 an hour, and then I kind of stabilized it into $120 an hour. And then I had some clients that I charged 180 to $200 an hour if I had to go and drive to their place for 15, 20 minutes, an hour. So I said, you know what? You're not paying me for the hour. You're paying actually for the two hours because I also have to commute to your place. And there were people like, yeah, cool. No problems. I'll, I'll pay 180 I'll pay $200. But that it, it Eventually, then kind of locked into one hundred and twenty dollars an hour that I was that was charging from. That's cool, man. That's right about where I am at, and I think like mm-hmm. I was kind of like I think initially stepping out and figuring out what to start charging was 
kind of it's a it's a tough decision. It's like I mean, I can charge I guess whatever I want, but what is I think fair? What is right? And then if I'm providing this amount of value, or if I'm charging this number, then I I think I would hope that I'm exceeding that value. And that person is able to say, oh, dude, every single time I'm going to pay 120 an hour because this is it's worth a hell of a lot more to me than 120 bucks. Like yeah. sweet, you know, like, like whatever. Obviously, whatever we're doing is working. But I think whenever we first get started as coaches, it's kind of like I don't know. Like, do I charge? You know, I think we all. I, I definitely undersold myself before mm. I had my degree. You know, I, I started training in high school. It was like twenty dollars an hour, or like twenty dollars, you know, whatever it was. Um, and then even in, during undergrad, it started you know growing a little bit, where it's like fifty dollars an hour, and then seventy and a hundred, and then you know, it, it definitely. But I mean, your expertise grows, your level of care grows. Mm. You're also looking for a specific clientele, so I think it helps to to have that 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 number because then you're going to have those people for a lot longer. And yeah, you build better relationships. You know, if you're there with them for longer, you get to build friendships like that. You know, <laughs> otherwise, all right, we're hanging out for six, like for maybe like three or four sessions, and I'll never see you again. And it's like I don't want that. I want somebody that's going to stick around so that we can have like I want to go to your dinner parties, and invite you to my wedding, and like yeah. I, I like I like those relationships a lot. Yeah, and and absolutely, and I I said to my clients in, in a way like they were even. Some of the questions like, so early $120, like, isn't that like, what's the difference? And most of the questions were valid. Like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not judging the price. I'm just trying to say like, Hey, what's the 120 difference between 120 and $60 an hour over here? I said, listen, those $60 an hour is like you have a, they have to maintain a certain, certain level of, of living. They have expenses and everything else. So in order to keep with the basic expenses, they have to now go through a lot more clients. And when we have a lot more clients, um, they have a, a lot less uh, attention to the actual clients that are paying good money. So I said, listen, the money is not just for me being here for the hour. So like I, like I can show you my work log where I'm logging up my time, how much actually hours I'm putting in outside of the training assistance, analyzing people's plans and putting, pulling all the macros and, and nutritions and everything else. And I said, plus, if you have any issues, you can also call me and say, hey, listen, what would you do in this situation? I'm over here. So I make that available. So I made it more like a luxury service rather than, hey, I'm not at the gym. Don't ever call me. No, I, I created that relationship to a point where eventually when we're opening up, we're almost opening up our own gym. And when I, I had a, a people ready to invest like three quarters of a million into the gym. And they were only doing it because they love what we stand for. And they love us as people. And like I said, a lot of the people that I train over the years, there are some of my great friends. And there are people that's like, hey, let's let's go to the Mediterranean yacht for two weeks and let's go hang out over there for a little bit. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, so, but you, you still have to build those relationships because everything that, everything that you do needs to be balanced. The information needs to be balanced with the experience. Because you want to push people, but if every workout is a pure sheer pain and an awkward lack, awkward silence, people don't really, not all want to work out. They want to feel like I'm having a great time. I'm, I'm, I'm having, like, I'm, I'm getting results over here. Um, emphasis on getting results, but they also need to feel like, hey, there's a clear progression. I don't feel, look like a fool, incapable fool every, every workout because this, 
this dude, this trainer just wants to show how extreme they are. Like, there are also those trainers sometimes. They're like, hey, I'm just going to go all hams every single workout and you're not able to walk for two weeks once you train with me once. Like, it kind of beats the purpose. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, when I was competing, my thought was always like minimum for the maximum gain, right? What's the minimum mm-hmm. output that I can get for the maximum gain? I, I, I need to create adaptation, but I don't want to be, mm-hmm. I, I need to be able to do this three, four days a week, not mm-hmm. just, I'm, or not even for three, four days a week for a year, two years, three years when I'm competing, but I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of peers that would get injured. It's like, oh, well, now, now I got to take a month off because my shoulder or my back or my, my hips. And then I'm over here just, you know, I'm hitting three singles today and then that's about it. And we have some accessories. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's it. It's like, yep. Uh-huh. And then, you know, we're, we're winning golds and we're going to keep everything like manageable. We're going to manage fatigue. And just, again, just do what we need to have enough adaptation that I'm going towards my goal. And like, be paid. The rest will come, you know? Yeah. There's, no, there's no reason to be sore after every single workout. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I always thought that the long-term consistency beats short-term intensity. Most of the times, like, obviously, if you can incorporate short-term intensities among the way, along the way with long-term consistency, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. But yeah, you... That's that's what separates a skillful trainer. That you create a plan, but you have ability to adapt the plan in a very short time frame, and based on seeing this person is not all there physically or mentally on this workout. So what's going on? Like I'm I'm not going to be a psychologist for a little bit, psychiatrist for a little bit on this session. And there's been times where it's like, okay, drop the weights. Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to go for a walk. We're going to go walk that uphill up and down. We're going to have some great conversation while doing so. And at the end of the practice, they're like, man, I really need it. Thank you so much. And a lot of people in the comp are like, hey, I really appreciate your awareness. Like I wasn't all there. Like I just had a really rough day of a situation at work or in a business or my family and here's what's going on. So like I didn't turn the the trainer switch off completely, but I I just kind of tone it down in a way and like, hey, let's. I said, let's get the body movement moving. Let's get a sense of accomplishments over there, but not while jeopardizing the current state of mind that like this is this is a crappy day. I can't do anything. So yeah, I that's a that's a skill for um, uh, a very experienced trainer. It's good, man. I I like to hear it. I like the, yeah. those those sitting down. There's sometimes just you sit down for the first 20, 30 minutes of a, of a session and you're just, yeah. you're talking or you're stretching, hanging out, but you're, you're talking <laughs> everything out. And at the end it's like, okay, like either, you know, this is like, like, you know, sometimes you can, I've turned somebody away for the day. It's like, man, I only got two hours of sleep last night. It was a hard day at work. It's like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> let's, let's do a little bit of movement and then go home. Like I'm not like yeah. just, take care of yourself for today and come back tomorrow. Like, I'll see you again, but I'll see you tomorrow. And it's like, are you sure? Like, yeah, like, let's go. And then sure enough, wake up the next morning, send a text. Like, Hey, thanks. You know, like I appreciate that. Like I'll see you today later today or whatever it is, you know, I think it's, you know, listening, just it's listening. Yeah. All, all, all business is communication. That's what I learned about business in general. All business is communication. And, and when you become a really good of communication, not just uh, output, but also input, you're able to listen and, and, and develop your awareness. And you're going you're gonna to do great. 
And if you talk about trainers, sometimes in those situations, it's it's good to invest into your long-term relationship and say, hey, listen, this this workout is on me. Like, hey, let's just skip it. Let's go. Let's go grab a coffee and let's go talk. I need a break anyway. So th- this one is on me. Let's let's hop on again tomorrow and hit hard. So even though that might sometimes feel like we needed that session or the money or whatever, but ultimately build your relationship in a way that that you secure that that person because it's <laughs> you you it's it's a lot when once you lose a client it's it's hard to gain it back like especially when there's so much competition there's so much competition in the training industry there's everybody saying saying that they're the next big trainer and there's on all online influencers that are literally white labeling the same programs and selling it to the next big thing and and it's like there there's so many people saying that they can do a better job guiding you guiding you with their health so you don't want to even let your clients to go into that jungle. You want to make sure that they keep coming to your assessment because once again, once you're able to keep them around your fire, you're able to get them better results and better results comes referrals. That's good. So what mm-hmm. do you have planning coming up uh, next? So you said you kind of shifted gears. From what, are you, what are you doing now? Yeah. So we, we started uh, about six years ago. Um, at the time, we're also consulting some medical clinics with their nutrition planning and nutrition programs. So we we had a one partnership with a nutrition company about six years ago. Um, we worked on about two years. We used that aligned with our clients and everything else. Um, also a tip, I think you should start creating partnerships and collaborations with different companies with your business if their interests are aligning. Um, don't, don't try to be like, no, this is mine. I'm going to keep everything over here collaborate with people and companies um so through that cal- uh, collaboration uh we kind of got in a role where we're able to help other people to um become basically uh advocates and ambassadors for health through nutrition so we started uh defining more that more and more and more we're bit a build a big global organization uh in about 13, 14 countries through that nutrition program, we help a big company to build a nutrition program that's now being used in 54 countries. And wow. it's all based on a blood sugar balance. But through that, we, we chose areas of business where our time is being used with the most leverage. I love the word leverage because it's, it's something that did not too many trainer realizes that you have to start creating multiple streams of income for your business as well. Because there's going to be some dips happening and everything else. And you don't just don't want to, you don't want to work because the saddest thing that I have is, is having trainers that are 70 years old and they can't do anything else because well, it's not sad. Like obviously some people love what they do and they want to work till they'll till their last breath. But I also know situations where people are like, I have nowhere to retire. I have no retirement because I've been eating hand, like I've been living hand to mouth the whole whole time. So evolve and and start finding collaborations. And in our case, we were able to build a multi multi million dollar business 
uh, through those collaborations and, and partnerships. And now we've been we've been talking to other trainers too how to build that leverage into their business what they're doing. Now we're not we don't have a trainer coaching business. We don't like I have obviously other trainers coming into me who know me and who know us from making that transition from fitness world to becoming an, an health and wellness business owner in quick sense. So obviously we're guiding and coaching a few of those, but that's that's not gonna be our business. But right now we're we have a huge partnership in the mental wellness space. And when I'm talking about mental wellness, a lot of people might be thinking like, well, what do you know about mental wellness? It's like, listen, when you're a trainer, you're gonna talk about mental wellness because once again, I can set you up for a perfect plan. But what will dictate are you going to follow the plan on a daily day? It's your mood and emotions. And mood and mood and emotions are actually uh, dictated by your like different biochemical functions in your body. Your neurotransmitters, your serotonin, dopamine, GABA, and acetylcholine, and everything else. So our current partnership is all in a, in a mental wellness space, in what I like to actually adapt it into mental performance. How can I help people to make right decisions? Because we all know deep down that if there's a burger and fries over here and you have a chicken breast over here with some, some great salad, that we know which one we should eat. But what makes us choose is that burger and fries over there? Because we're, we've become so great of justifying whatever we desire. So if I can change people's behavior so... They are more willing to go to the gym, follow the plan, eat right way. Then, yes, I want to work on that sector because I know it's the biggest impact when you're looking in the grand scale. Like our vision, we wanted to help a thousand people to become a better shape first, but now it's become like, hey, we want to help a million people become a better shape. But the tools are different. Vehicle is slightly different, but the principles and the goals and the, the purpose and the passion is still the same. I love it. Where can people find you? Uh, probably most. I don't even have Instagram. We have my wife and I, we have a, a project Elevate on Instagram. That's going to be uh, one of our moments where we're going to talk about health and mental wealth and mental performance and everything else. But um, personally, you can reach me just uh, on Facebook, uh, Sami Eskalin, and, uh, and you can find me that way. And, and like, I'm always loving to have a conversation about this because I truly love what I do. So if anyone wants to have a conversation or, or have any questions even concerning about this conversation we had, I'm more than happy to continue this convo. So but those are the best, probably the best venues to get, get a hold of. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time. I appreciate you coming on. Um, and I appreciate everyone tuning in, listening. I, I mean, I definitely got a lot out of it, so I hope that everybody else did as well. Um, thank you. Love y'all. And cheers. Thank you so much, Ben. I, I really appreciate having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. 